Christmas was important to me even before I called myself a Christian, though admittedly this was mainly for non-religious reasons. I've always suspected that I have loved Christmas more than any other holiday, not because of its spirituality, but because it purchased my affections. It's true that I loved the music and the pageantry, the glow of the lights, and the smell of the evergreen seemed to transport me to another world, but it was the presents that clinched the deal. When it came to gifts, Christmas was the mother load, far better than birthdays or any other holiday. When I became a follower of Jesus, I expected the change to transform Christmas the way it had transformed the rest of my life. I assumed the season, which seemed magical to me already, would become transcendent. It did not. If anything, the change somehow managed to dim the glow. Perhaps this was because of the church culture to which I had become attached. The church tradition I joined was what is commonly described as a low church. Apart from Christmas and Easter, we didn't follow the church calendar. Even the attention paid to those two days seemed grudging at times. We were proud of this bare-faced approach that disassociated us from Roman Catholicism with its robes, smoke, and long lists of feasts that never seemed to involve actual food. Of course, we had our own list of special days and celebrations, so I suppose you could say they were feasts of a sort. There were potlucks and suppers, the annual Valentine's Day banquet, and a church meal after every funeral. There were also a vast variety of informal meals, usually related to specific events or the passing of the seasons. But in retrospect, it occurs to me that most of these occasions were more social than religious. Christmas, on the other hand, was overtly religious. By it, we aimed to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. We did this with a measure of reserve. There were a few decorations, but they were not elaborate. A handful of evergreen sprigs and the occasional wreath decked out with red and green ribbons were usually enough. Some churches, which would normally have eschewed putting up a Christmas tree in the sanctuary because of its pagan roots, even constructed a large tree-shaped scaffold for the choir and covered it with pine branches. Christmas Eve was the only time we allowed candles in the sanctuary. Instead of lighting them for the dead, like Catholics, we held them in our hands, we dimmed the lights and sang Silent Night as the wax dripped on the upholstery of the pew in front of us. I liked the flickering shadows, but hated the song, not because of its content, but for its familiarity. It bored me. As a rule, my tastes in Christmas music tended toward the medieval. I would rather sing Prudentius, or some repurposed Gregorian chant. The low church tradition in which I still worship appears to have overcome its reticence about candles and greenery. Advent candles, midnight services on Christmas Eve, and strung lights are so common these days that we hardly notice the difference anymore. The church I currently attend piles so many Christmas trees into the place of worship that it feels like we're at a campground instead of in the sanctuary. I've even visited a church that broadcasts Chuck Berry singing Run Run Rudolph through loudspeakers outside its front door. On the stage in the auditorium where the congregation meets, a smoke machine generates a thin shekinah of mechanical fog.
means for me. My tastes in worship, like my tastes in Christmas music, tend toward the minor key. I've always felt a little envious of my high church friends, who, when they lift their eyes in worship, see arches and stained glass instead of ductwork. I've wondered what it would be like to preach a sermon wearing vestments. It would be refreshing to attend a church that feels like a church, instead of feeling like I am visiting a shopping mall, an office complex, or a repurposed grocery store. But God, I suspect, doesn't really care. Even the tabernacle, raised by divine command and meticulously constructed according to the pattern revealed to Moses on the holy mountain, turned out to be only a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. We hunger for a sense of the presence of God, but tend to confuse transcendence with ambiance. In its worship practices, the Church seems to struggle to find the happy medium between Puritan austerity and Baroque gaudiness. This struggle is further complicated by differences in culture, style, and taste. Not every Church celebrates Christmas the same. Indeed, as far as Scripture is concerned, we do not need to observe Christmas as a holy day at all. There is certainly no evidence in the New Testament that the first Christians did. In his book, Ancient Christian Worship, Andrew McGowan contrasts what he describes as the colorful calendars of feasts, fasts, and saints that the churches of the 4th and 5th centuries celebrated with the relative silence of the New Testament on such matters. The Apostle Paul criticized the Galatians for observing special days and months and seasons and years. In Colossians 2.16, he warned the congregation not to let anyone judge them with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Christmas, it would seem, is not the Queen of Days. We are free to observe it or not observe it as we wish. Meanwhile, when God's presence does show itself, it's more likely to be on the periphery of our daily experience than in the church sanctuary. God seems to inhabit the corners and shadows, preferring the unnamed days of ordinary time to the high holy days from which we expect so much. He does not come with fanfare, but as the carol says, silently and in the places where all our hopes and fears meet. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. This is the message of Christmas. It is the old, old promise, whispered in the garden, shouted by the prophets, and trumpeted to shepherds on a hillside near Bethlehem. It is the good news that God has drawn near by taking on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. He came with a real body to the real world. He came to die, rise, and will one day return. Only then will we know what it is like to experience God's presence in its fullness.
Hi, this is John Kessler. Thanks for tuning in to A Stranger in the House of God podcast. I also want to invite you to be on the lookout for my latest book, entitled When God is Silent, coming from Lexham this August. It's a book about prayer, but probably not like any you've read before. This book does more than answer questions like how and why we should pray. It will help you to understand why we struggle with prayer and why it often seems like an awkward conversation with God. When God is Silent will invite you to gain a sense of God, of His goodness, and the rich welcome that's waiting for us every time we approach Him in the name of Jesus Christ. I hope you'll watch for it this coming August. And if you haven't already, don't forget to hit the subscribe button at johnkessler.com.